When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, every once in a while, I'm asked by people to, fellow hobbyists, to kind of give me some opinions on things in the hobby or tell some stories from my experience over the years that um, maybe we can relate to. And I always think about one of my favorites, which is the fact that as aquarists, you know, we're never quite done. Like every once in a while you hear somebody say, I'm done, I'm satisfied, don't need any more aquariums. And my response to that has always been, yeah, right. You've made that pledge before, I'm sure. (laughs) Don't need any more tanks, really pleased with what I have at the moment, right? No, I call BS on that, really. I call BS on that for every hobbyist. Seems like there's something about this hobby that renders even the most hardened among us incapable of resisting the urge to add, you know, one more tank to our collection. I know I'm right about this because having been a lifelong hobbyist, I have a hard time recalling any time in my life other than early childhood where I had a single tank, bowl, or other container committed to keeping tropical fish. Now, to outsiders, it's weird. To fish geeks, it's just sort of accepted. It's a natural progression in our hobby. In fact, it's considered normal and expected in our little culture, isn't it? I mean, it would be a bit weird if you didn't have an extra tank or two lying around. Even before the first diatom appears in your so-called dream aquarium, you're likely planning the next one. You know that tank, the one that you've been you know, thinking about for years. It's, again, a progression in what we do. And I'd hazard, hazard a guess that <clears throat> excuse me, many of you have had similar life experiences that you think the same way. It's almost like an addiction of sorts, or at the very least, it's an obsession. We have some success with one tank, one group of fishes, and then we immediately, you know, peek over the fence to see that there's a ton of other crazy cool fishes, plants, and ideas on the other side, and we have to act. With the confidence that we've gained by keeping one tank or bowl or container, we suddenly realize that the idea of keeping and breeding that cool, you know, shell-dwelling Lake Tanganyika cichlid or annual killifish or tetra or whatever isn't so crazy, and wow, you don't need a huge tank to do it. Suddenly, you're headlong into planning your next tank or container to hold water. I know the mindset. It goes something like, wow, those fishes only need a you know five-gallon tank. I have a little space on that shelf in the bedroom. Yeah, you find the space. You somehow find the aquarium, and you always find the cash. This old cliche of where there's a will, there's a way most certainly pertains to the tropical fish hobby. I know it has for me. When you want more fish, you're usually not all that particular about what kind of aquarium you're using where it, or where it comes from. That's why we see, you know, plastic shoe boxes, pickle jars, vases, and other assorted containers, virtually anything that can hold water reconfigured as aquariums in almost every fish keeper's repertoire. We're really good at this stuff. And of course, along the way, you accumulate stuff, right? You know, air pumps, you know, gang valves, filter parts, media bags, and all the other minutia that constitute an aquarium. We all have that box of stuff or multiple boxes in many cases ready to delve into when the need arises during some future fish project. I, I realized this when I was moving 
recently uh, we had our stuff in storage for a while while we, were re- while we were remodeling our new home. And when I finally got the uh, our stuff delivered from storage, I realized I had more boxes of fish stuff than I did of clothes or <laughs> other things. So I thought that was kind of funny. My wife was like, boy, most of your possessions are junk. <laughs> I realized she's right. Rare is the hobby you do simply discards old equipment. I mean, one of the best parts about creating a new aquarium is that you learn to improvise, adapt, and overcome adversity, and you get to accumulate new skills, new parts, and stuff, not to mention cool fishes along the way. It's part of what we do. And as we get older and as more space permits, we start turning to more and larger setups, you know, a tank in almost every room. Some of us do it very tastefully, either through our own amazing aesthetic capabilities or at the urging of a spouse, a roommate, or a family member who insists that the aquariums not make our house look like, you know, the typical den of a crazy cat lady or a weird science experiment or whatever experiment, you know, with aquariums in every nook and cranny bubbling and making noise. Trust me, I've seen a few of those situations. They're great to visit, but I'd never want to live like that, and I know my wife wouldn't. Some of us are fortunate enough to create a dedicated fish room in the garage, the basement, or spare bedroom, or whatever, and then it gets really interesting, right? Go into almost any fish room in any hobbyist house anywhere in the world, and you'll usually say the same thing. All sorts of cool tanks set up for almost every conceivable situation. Some fish rooms are really well thought out with uniform-sized aquariums, central filtration, automatic water chain systems, specialized life support gear, and... Others are less sophisticated, but chock full of cool aquariums and fishes with every shape tank at every shape and size imaginable. And each tank, by the way, has its own cool creation or acquisition story. Just ask the hobbyists. It's always that way. You know, yeah, I got that, you know, 35-gallon hex from a guy who was trying to keep Australian tree frogs and it didn't work out for him. Cost me three bucks and an hour of cleaning and that's the tank I breed my killifish in or whatever. It's the same basic story regardless. Every hobbyist finds it almost impossible to resist one more tank or one more fish. It's, it's in our DNA. That's why when you attend, you know, a local fish club meeting or an aquarium club event, which I've attended a few, uh, that one hobbyist, you know, the one, she's the one that's bred like 130 species of fish, just killing it in the local breeders award program, whatever. She swears she has no more room for more fishes. He'd always somehow puts $10 into the raffle and curiously enough, always wins that one cool pair of, I don't know, Neolampologus or wild betas or whatever. And somehow always finds the space for him. Yeah. (laughs) That joke about multiple tank syndrome, the fact that no tropical fish hobbyist can resist adding another tank to his or her collection. It's very true, very real and very awesome. So to all those, you know, of you out there who insist that, you know, this tank, this is your last one that you're going to ever buy or acquire or appropriate, I say good luck. It's not happening because if you have the opportunity to pick up that 75 gallon tall at a bargain price of, you know, $15 at the yard sale down the street, you'll find some way to fit it somewhere in your home. It's just what you do. So don't stop doing that. You know, the other thing I like to talk about uh, somebody asked me, "What Scott, do you have anything, any story, any thought, of, idea on what, what your favorite piece of aquarium equipment is or your favorite tank or piece of equipment or gear of, of all time that you've had? And I thought about it and I'm like, I have one that's totally great. Now, greatness comes in many packages and many forms. I remember, you know, who is it? Muhammad Ali, the great boxer, used to call himself the greatest. Um, 
in my favorite sport, surfing, Kelly Slater is considered the greatest of all time with, you know, 11 world championships. Uh, there's some amazing arguments that can be made for basketball players and Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan or whatever, the greatest of all time, but whatever. In, you know, it's tough to earn the rating of good, let alone great. However, I think I do own one piece of equipment that I believe has safely earned the title of the very greatest one. Now, let's go back to like, I'm almost dating myself here, but the year, it was, let's say it was in the 80s <laughs> and I was a teenage fish geek um, and I needed to make what was then a major purchase for my hobby. I needed a strong, reliable air pump to power my, tell me if you remember this one, it was called a Nectonics undergravel filter. It was this little injection molded undergravel filter we used them in when what were saltwater aquariums of the day i needed it to power this undergravel filter in my 20 gallon marine tank with complete with you know a couple of uh, blue damselfish a true percula plant a crown crown why did i say that i'm tripping over myself today i'm so excited to tell the story a percula clown and i think it was a, a i want to say it was a hetero heteractus crispa anemone but the thing supposedly in my opinion i think it thrived under my you know, sort of DIY, triple Vitalite fluorescent fixture. And actually, I think it did thrive. I had it for over seven years before I had to give it to a friend. I was really sick of unreliable, cheap air pumps. So in scanning my well-worn copies of Freshwater and Marine Aquarium magazine, this was before the internet, I'm embarrassed to say, I saw an ad for a mail-order firm called Aqua Engineers. And those of you old-timers might have heard of this company. They were always advertising every month. They were like the, I don't know, like premium aquatics or... Uh, you know, Live Aquaria or saltwateraquarium.com or one of those big name, you know, vendors of the day. That's what they did. Uh, now, there was no prime shipping either. It was mail order. <laughs> you would write a check or whatever. And um, if you had a credit card, which most teenagers didn't back then, you'd call and, you know, place your order or whatever. They had a lot of air pumps, but they had the pump, the one that like every fish geek at the time loved. It was this one called the Luft Pump by Tetra. And, and I did a lot of saving. I decided to make this big investment. I think it was $19.95. And it was a huge move for the time. I mean, the Luft was like, I don't know, the equivalent of like a Ecotech Marine Vortec pump or a, a you know, like a, an AI Nero. It was very high tech, the European high tech answer to the American silent giant pump. Remember that one? That was another old timer this little brown thing delivered large quantities of air in pretty much near silence, which is a huge plus when your aquarium's in your bedroom when you're a kid. And with a simple twist of this little rheostat, you could crank this thing up to you know, deliver precise volumes of air up to, I think it was 7 PSI. It was like the Porsche of air pumps. And I had it, and I was still in high school. I saved to get this pump, and I was so stoked when that thing arrived. It was the greatest pump ever. And this little German workhorse powered... I don't know, tank after tank delivered air to everything from my killifish breeding setup. I had like these little, you know, plastic, you know, um, refrigerator boxes and I had little air stones in them. I used it for brine germ hatcheries. I was working in my quarantine tank, um, thanks to some fancy air management with some sexy plastic gang valves. And, and yeah, I even had a quarantine tank back then. I was 
pretty smart, I guess, or maybe I just was drilled into my head to do this. I mean, this thing saw everything. The dawn of MTV, Reaganomics, New Wave, college, the fall of the Berlin Wall, the two Gulf Wars, the, the grunge movement, the dot-com boom and bust, two major earthquakes, several relationships, four different houses, the new millennium, 9-11, I think seven or eight U.S. presidents, and literally thousands upon thousands of hours of operation. This little buff to seen all this stuff faithfully and silently the whole time cranking out the air. And I actually am still using it. Right now, it's actually doing duty once again on a uh, brine shrimp hatcher. Uh, for several years prior to that, it was working on a little small tank full of Hawaiian red volcano shrimp. And that was kind of a fun little thing, just uh, powering a little internal filter. I mean, this thing's a real workhorse. In fact, this little guy has worked continuously in one capacity or another for close to four decades. That's a longevity or reliability record that few products in any industry could match. I mean, short of rinsing the, the little air filter that slips onto the bottom of this pump every so many years or when I remember to do it, I haven't had to do any maintenance on this thing. Unfortunately, the pump's no longer marketed under the Tetra name. I think the patent expired. So there's a few different companies. I, I want to say it was, was it Coralife or some other brand. I've seen a few others. You could see this thing. If you Google Tetra Luft pump, you, you, you'll see the, the familiar um, form factor and you'll go, oh, I could find this somewhere else under this other name. But it represents to me the pinnacle of air pump design and engineering. I swear this thing's going to outlive me. I mean, you talk about value for the dollar. It's been worth every cent, although I think the last time I saw one for sale under that brand, I think it was like $52 or something back in 2017 or 2018. I mean, it seems expensive, but then again, I wouldn't know. I haven't had to purchase an air pump for several decades, so what do I know? And we all have our favorite product. Maybe it's a protein skimmer, an aquarium, a canister filter, a high-tech powerhead, a light bulb, etc. Mine's just a humble air pump. Well, it's not just an air pump. I mean, it was, this thing was like a noble and reliable little device. It's powered my aquatic dreams for decades. It was a family, it's practically a family heirloom. It's not just a piece of equipment and it, it's part of my family. And you know, I, I salute this little pump. So yeah, what was the greatest piece of aquarium equipment I've ever had? That would definitely be the one. That, that pump was amazing. We've all had our favorite you know, crazy air pumps and devices that, you know, lived long and prospered in our homes. But boy, this one really did it for me. You know, again, telling some stories. I don't know why I'm in this like storytelling mood today, but I think it's kind of fun to talk about what we do in the context of experience. And one of my favorite things is, is thinking about things that I don't normally do, like aquascaping. Now, I had an occasion to talk with a few friends lately, and they're really into the aquascaping world. These guys are super talented and gifted artists, the people that I learn a lot from. And sadly, though, they reflected stories of resistance and judgment when they tried to push the boundaries a bit, and it kind of made me sad. It made me reflect on you know my own journey as an aquarist and as a business person in the aquarium hobby. People ask me all the time what influences my taste in aquariums, and they want to know why I'm so fascinated with leaves and wood and seed pods and stuff like that. Like, how did I get this stuff into my head? And I think it's pretty obvious that I simply love the aesthetic, the diversity, the tones, the function, all that stuff. My peers in the reef keeping world, where I 
came from so for so many years. They asked me this a lot, wondering why I apparently at the time gave up this splashy and exotic color palette, you know, of reefs for this organic earth tone world of the botanical style aquarium. And it's funny because I don't feel like I gave up anything. I love both. Um, however, you know, too many of my reef keeping acquaintances that were set in their way, perhaps seeing me evolve in a different path, found that disconcerting, frightening, or just plain amusing. And that's okay. I have my own taste as everybody should. I think they encompass a variety of things. What's sad is the resistance that I see in the hobby to different ways of thinking. It's common all over the aquarium world, but it's really prevalent or it has been really prevalent in the aquascaping world, as I've found out in the first few years of Tannen's existence. For all of the progressive guys that were trying new ideas and new things, there was a huge pushback from this establishment, which seemed to me to discourage ideas which didn't fit the prevailing style or mindset at the time. These poor people really took a lot of heat, uh, you know, for, for forging different paths in, in the aquarium and the aquascaping community. And for that, you know, I commend them. But some of the best advice I ever received was also some of the worst when it comes to aquascaping. This is maybe what's wrong with aquascaping. It was literally copy an existing work that you like exactly and work with it a long time, gain confidence with it before moving on to a design of your own. I'm like, that's fucking awful. But good, I guess, perhaps, if not taken too far. I mean, sure, inspiration is important. And I suppose it's good because we all aspire to create stuff that pleases us. Nothing wrong with that part. And of course, for many hobbyists, that might mean recreating something that we saw online at the local fish store or at a fellow hobbyist tank or, you know, one of those big competitions. Getting inspiration from the work of others is great. It gives us a guideline for creating our own versions of the world, I guess. Artists have been doing it for centuries, you know, drawing inspiration from others and then sort of tweaking their own versions. There's nothing inherently wrong with this. However... When it starts becoming a paint-by-numbers thing, with everyone trying to create an aquascape that meets somebody else's rigid formula for theme, layout, and composition, and stocking, it gets really unhealthy, in my opinion. Like, this will often get me lambasted throughout the competitive aquascaping world, which I couldn't care less for, but I, for one, am a bit tired of aquascapes that contain sand waterfalls, floating cities, beach scenes, enchanted forests, and all that stuff. I've railed on that stuff for years because it's ridiculous. I mean, it seems to me that to place so highly in one of these contests, an aquarium literally has to look like something out of the you know, Lord of the Rings or whatever. Some weird fantasy with an underwater twist. Escapes that employ these things are studied, they're analyzed, revealed, and revered as the way to escape. Anything that seems to deviate from this is just sort of shrugged off as a nice try or something equally dismissive. Now, Look, don't get me wrong. The skill required to create these tanks is amazing. I probably couldn't even come close to anything like this. It's not a matter of talent. It's a matter of the talent pushing in a direction that seems so, I don't know, forced maybe or so ridiculous. From the outside, especially as someone like me who comes from the reef aquarium world, which sort of went through similar copy this in order to have an attractive tank periods, it's all too familiar and all too frightening. It's even kind of funny, actually. That sort of paint-by-numbers approach to scaping, quantifying, and looking at the aquatic world and trying to be exactly what we see elsewhere, not what we feel in our hearts. And I have no problem with different styles of aquascaping. I have problems with fear of innovation. When people ask me what bothers me the most, it's fear of innovation, fear of you know rocking the boat a little bit. I just wonder why for so many years, so many 
aquascapers, even aqua, being called an aquascaper is a little weird to me, but aquascapers, why they seem to have been held hostage by this mindset that you have to do it like everyone else in order for your work to be taken seriously. Now, mind you, there's a lot of people that are doing innovative work nowadays and sort of evolved, but there's still there's so many people that have a mental lock on doing things one way. Of course, the argument is that this is not the case, but as an outsider, it was blatantly and painfully obvious to me immediately. I had a hard time understanding why so much talent went to doing derivatives of the same thing over and over again. Why? Was it to be cool, to be blonde? I don't know, because we want so badly to be like the great aquascapers that will forcibly subscribe to some rigid style. Would a a mono have wanted this? I don't think so. I think his greatest works were the ones that embraced the concept of wabi-sabi, as we talked about before which nature guided them there there's no floating cities or floating forests and underwater waterfalls in nature and certainly were none in a mono's tank so how did all this stuff become the accepted norm where did the aquascaping community decide to take this weird turn i have no idea i merely suggest that we consider the absurdity of this closed-minded thinking when it comes to choosing to replicate the work of others no matter where they are or who they are you're better than this Don't get me wrong, there's an enormous discipline and talent that goes into the creation and maintenance of these fantasy-inspired aquascaping works, and many of them are super beautiful. I wish that they one-tenth the talent of some of these people that produce them. The problem, as I see it, is that many of the high-placing and winning aquascapes in these competitions are crushingly formulaic, simply trying to one-up or play off the creations of others, and not really forging new paths. And this directly influences the larger aquascaping world i suppose that's how inspiration and movements work but scary to me is it's sort of a closed mindset that that accompanies these things i hate stuff that stifles creativity or discourages innovation outside of a given set of rules and this is supposed to be fun i hate when my really talented friends in the scaping world told me that they weren't being you know that they were being criticized or risk being marginalized by venturing down a, a different path as if they're rebelling somehow There's nothing at all wrong with the brilliant work that these people are doing as entered in the big national, international competitions. And that's cool. If it was viewed in the same fashion that we view concept cars at auto shows, you know, the absurdly futuristic styled ones with glass domes and hologram Instagram panels and all that stuff. Maybe this stuff eventually trickles down to production vehicles in terms of style or technology. Then I get it. And I guess that's good. But it doesn't seem to me to be that way. The message that seems to be sin is that in order to be taken seriously as an aquascape artist you need to do it this way maybe i'm totally wrong there's people that will probably good friends of mine that will tell me i'm wrong but i think i'm right and why do i find this so personally offensive it's just that well it all starts looking the same after a while and we continue to force ourselves to view every single one of these derivative works as aspirational as if our own stuff is just sort of there There's talented aquascapers all over the world who do amazing work with their own sense of style without the influence of others, simply based on what pleases them, what's in their heads, or what they see in the natural world. And they're not doing it for the gram or doing it to to make a YouTube video or whatever. They're just doing it. It's all about the natural world for them. And the natural world, that's pretty cool. Since I started Tannin, we were blessed to have sort of struck a chord, I think, with hobbyists who are looking for a slightly different direction. And it's fun to see people take botanicals and run with them and create all kinds of interesting aquariums that speak to their own tastes and interests. We kind of offered a new palette of materials for hungry hobbyists eager to try something different. I think that's really great. We're honored to have offered something different to play with. 
There's no right or wrong in expressing creativity in the aquarium world. Again, I just sometimes have to get out there and when I'm asked, I, I have to give my opinion. The resistance to the outside world, you know, from the outside world of aquariums or the, the mainstream aquarium world or whatever seems to have been breaking down. It, it's really kind of neat. There's been an attitude change. I don't know if it really has to do with tenon or maybe just more people trying different things, but I think some of the stuff we've been putting forth is, is catching on and I think that's pretty cool. I, I think it's amazing. And what about our botanical method aquariums? I mean, sure, an outsider can say that all botanical method aquariums look the same, like a big pile of leaves and gunk and stuff. And I, I get that, if that's, but that's where they have it wrong. You give your ta- tank a track to run on, so to speak, with a concept or whatever, but the nature takes over and fits, you know, fills it in and evolves it. You're letting Mother Nature do a lot of the work for you in terms of letting things happen, not resisting it. And that's hard for a lot of people. It's our way, though, accepting the transient ways of nature and the processes involved. And let's make it a point to really never get judgmental, closed-minded, or arrogant. I know sometimes I'm very opinionated and I like to say what's on my mind because it's my podcast and I can do that. But I don't have an opinion that tells other people they're stupid. I mean, not usually anyway. But really, we need to be more welcoming and always be welcoming and innovative you know, and kind, um, need to embrace many styles, many different ideas and share with newcomers and old timers alike. Let's not become overly enamored with ourselves or what we do. It's not the best way. It's just a way. And if we do that, I don't, you know, if we, we start thinking we're the best at everything, then we're going to end up just as bad as the, the people that I just called out saying they're closed minded. That's not good stuff. So what's the big take takeaway of my little rant today and boy i've talked about some varying things didn't i but this is what happens when you just freeform it um my thing is just be yourself no matter what anybody says in the aquarium hobby no matter what everyone else thinks is the way and i think one of my favorite ridiculous cliche quotes of all time though is that uh that uh, one that uh, is a voiceover from the apple think different campaign from i think it was 1984 is an award-winning advertising campaign and i'm going to read it to you because i don't have it memorized here it says, here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs and the square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules, and they have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. About the only thing you can't do is ignore them, because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. So I think that's pretty awesome now. You may not change the world with your aquascapes and aquariums and all those things, but you might just change a few opinions and motivate some other people. And that's pretty damn cool too. So find your love, express it, share it, no matter what anybody says and always maintain a degree of integrity with yourself. Stay proud, stay unique, stay bold, stay patient, stay open-minded and stay listening to my long-winded rants and, and always stay wet. Until next time, thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.